It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Weather Wednesday tell us it'll be kind of every second day for the week. So this is looking all right for today. Tomorrow, not so much. Kind of every second day they're saying for the week. This is kind of the tail end of it now. The horrible stuff will be upon us by, by next week and doesn't look like it's going to go away down until about the middle of March. But don't mind me, I hate that time of year. Just, I hate it. Don't be giving me any of your cosy fire nonsense and your windows bathroom with the rain and the wind outside and how lovely it is. Don't be giving that old nonsense to me. I want this to stay. <laughs> However, Monday morning, good morning, 1850-715-996. I don't believe that they're actually still pushing this out there. But then again, in the absence of an actual reason why something happens, research will go on. And sometimes that research comes up with very hurtful articles in the newspaper. Not because anybody wants to hurt you, but because they don't realise that that's one of the things you think about. I'm talking about a piece in the Telegraph which recently said that autism can be prevented by teaching parents how to interact with their babies according to a new study. It says two-thirds of cases could be solved by a video consultation showing how to interpret children's all-important early efforts to communicate. Now that read to me as total BS but I'm a few years down the line. Nicole, good morning. Hi PJ, how are you? Hi girl, how are you doing? You were very upset to read this. Yeah, well, that's not a nice thing to um, see come up on the screen, I suppose, you know, for a lot of parents. It really yeah. wasn't. Um, I think I'm more surprised, to be quite honest, that they ran the story. Um, and I'm more surprised that it was left go to publishing because I thought, like, as you said, like we were gone from that kind of point of the finger or shouldering blames side of things. Mm. Um, you know, I had a lot of parents kind of reach out at the weekend and say that, like, it really upset them because... 
you do like you're not human if you don't question yourself when something like you know a diagnosis happens with your child and stuff and mm-hmm. that does happen but you have to learn to realize I suppose that it's not it's not the case you know it can never be the case no matter what you did it was never going to change but headlines like that I think they're quite damaging um especially for parents who are just going through a diagnosis or mm-hmm. going through um like worrying about certain things with their child and stuff do you know what I mean it's quite quite worrying to be quite honest to think mm-hmm. that we're kind of going back 50 years <laughs> do you know yeah the, the old cold mother thing came from Germany uh, back in the day mm. and had been well and truly dismissed but now you see because I think they still don't know what the cause is yeah. they're looking again at everything but I do remember I don't know if everyone, anyone ever did this for you um, Nicole but I remember the the morning that we got our diagnosis and God knows it's 20 something years ago now right yeah but the very kindly man who who gave us the diagnosis Professor Fitzgerald turned he around and he man. said this is not your fault you did not cause this mm. And that's something parents need to hear, I think. Do you know, there's so many that will get um, a diagnosis and they're handed it and sent on their merry way with that piece of paper and you're still left with no answers. Like, do you know, like Riley's diagnosed five years now and um, obviously you're never going to know the cause, like, but you have to just realise that I think there is no blame for anybody, do you know? And that's why I think I was so surprised when I saw it and there had been a lot of kind of uproar with it on social media Um between people who have seen it and people didn't want to give it airtime, people did. And then a lot of my friends who would be on the spectrum themselves were quite upset with it because they were saying, like, my parents did everything for me. Like, there was no reason at all. And so it was kind of one of these things where both communities came together, as in the parents and the autistic community themselves, and kind of said, like, I don't understand how it went to publish, like, do you know? Yeah, it, it um, comes up from time to time. The, do you remember the article back in the newspaper in 2012 by a psychologist called Tony Humphreys that, that outraged people, in, including me, yeah. and spoke out publicly against it? James Riley, the former health minister, um, shall we say, got a bit mixed up on his own verbiage a few years ago too. Um, and it's, It happens every now and then yeah. and it kind of throws the cat among the pigeons, especially in social media now, because I think if it, like... Before the times of social media, these things would happen in the paper and less people would see it. But these days with social media, it just, it gets legs and it runs away. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm. That it reaches a hell of a lot more people and you have a lot of parents out there who yeah. that would have really upset. Like, do you know, yeah. Um, yeah, there actually, is no, no Fer- need. Fergal is correcting me here in, in defence of James Riley and he's right. I remember it now. See, James Riley has a son on the spectrum. And uh, he was given out to Tony Humphreys about that article. Thanks, Fergal, you're rejigging my memory on it. He's correct, of course. I, I remember speaking out publicly at an, at an event uh, about that too, about that article. Again, he was, it was very hurtful. He may have been thinking, he may have been applying clinical psychology, but it was very hurtful to people. I think what it is, though, isn't it, Nicole? Like, we don't know what the cause is, so research yeah. is going to continue. And then every so often, a person is going to come out with a theory. Newspapers won't refuse ink. Media won't yeah, refuse a new piece thing, of science. Though. Yeah. Do you know? But it's it's the, the thing I think that parents just have to realise that this is going to happen and it happens, as you said, every few years. And, like, you just do have to realise that it's not nothing you could have done. Like, me interacting, I used to, like, we always say, I absolutely wrecked Rayleigh's head because he had no words at all. Yeah. So, if anything, we over-interacted. Do you know that kind of way to try get him to try be able to say words? So, 
And I've had parents who were, they were very funny about it at the weekend and said, like, I have three kids, so does that mean I interacted with two of them okay and one of them not okay? And, do you know, people were kind of going to that side of it. But um, hopefully they're going to take, I, I can't see them taking it back because it's been there for weeks or for over a week now, but it did cause a lot of upset, mm. definitely. Mm. Unnecessary upset, yeah. you know. You see, when you get into the asking the question, well, should the Telegraph have published an article like this? The, the, the press will always publish articles. Always, yeah. You know? yeah. Now, equally, like, equally if, if, if someone came up with an article that said, or a piece of study that said, autism has nothing at all to do with the parents, they'd publish that too, or at least you'd yeah, hope they would. Yeah, each side, I suppose, and as you said, like, they're not going to refuse it, but... It's um, it's one of those. It it was more the headline, I think, for me than anything yeah. else, because that's yeah. what you saw everywhere, and that's what would kind of be like a kick in the stomach for people. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I think there's no, it's not nice anyway. You know yourself, like when you're going through that diagnosis process, mm-hmm. we're we're like years down the line now, and like you're farther down, obviously than us. But like you do get to a stage where you're kind of like you leave these things go over your head a little bit. But those early days, I think that would have been. Mm. Very, very upsetting. Yeah. You know, like people do sit and ask themselves, and they agonise, and they do. They do. Yeah. Was there something I could have done differently? Was there something I could have done better? Was there something I forgot? Was there some? People do that, and and no matter how many hundred times you tell them no, 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 and no, they still mm. do that. Yeah, but that's human nature, I suppose, isn't it? And I think when it's your baby as well, you're always going to question yourself, and you're always going to like worry about these things and you're always going to say could I have but you have to get to that stage and that takes a long time as well mm-hmm. to get to that stage and kind of say do you know no I couldn't like do you know um, and I think that as Riley got older that definitely got a bit easier for me but in those early days you definitely do question yourself do you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. which is awful because we shouldn't yeah no we should not and articles like that do not help at all no. and it's it's impossible to know where the research will eventually go, isn't it? Mm, it's just you just have to take it as it comes. Like, really would you, do would you like to know? This is probably a very personal question, Nicole. Would mm. you like to know what caused it? In, in one way, yes, I think I would. Because um, I always think, like, no, he's amazing the way he is. I yeah. wouldn't change him. I change his struggles. Yes, a hundred percent, I would. Um, I wouldn't change him, but I would it's always in the back of your mind that you'd like to have an answer. Do you know what I mean? But I think I'm at the stage now that like it wouldn't change anything. So if I got it, I got it. If I didn't, I didn't. But he's he's absolutely amazing. Like I wouldn't change him for the world. Do you know, he's the funniest little boy in the world. But for him, you'd like to have an answer. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's personal to everybody. You Like some parents, I suppose, wouldn't want to know. Some parents would. But... Again, you're always worrying if you are going to try to find out an answer that the blame is going to come back on something. Yeah. Do you know, it comes back to the same thing again. Like Someone said to me one time, well, what would be the point in knowing? It's not like I can make mm. it go away. Exactly, yeah. Do you know? And like, as I said, like I, ch- I take away his struggles. 100% yeah. I take yeah. away his struggles for him. Um, yeah. But would I change him? No, because he's absolutely hilarious at the moment. Yeah. Like, do you know, he's really after finding What's his, his obsession these days, Nicole? Um, the Golden Gate Bridge. Get away! In San Francisco, yeah. He's obsessed to the extreme that he's saying he's having a Golden Gate Bridge themed party. His birthday is next month. Okay. And, yeah. It's so grand we've had fire engines and signs and <laughs> yeah. the Golden Gate. And how did the Golden, the Golden Gate, Gate Bridge, Bridge start? 
he just he's going for landmarks so it went from London um, and Big Ben and then it went to New York and now he's on San Francisco so it's the Golden Gate Bridge everything has to be the Golden Gate Bridge um, so like they're telling him he's finished his work inside the school and he's allowed to go drawing and it's the Golden Gate Bridge that he'll draw or like it's hilarious yeah <laughs> It's a nice one, though, because we can walk around and do our normal everyday life and it's not in front of us, yeah, you know, exactly. so that makes it a bit easier. Yeah, we, we had it. Rather we had, than we, the traffic lights. We had a playgrounds thing one time. Oh, Lord God, oh, no. Oh, stop. Oh, stop, I know. But, like, here we are, two parents who've been down this road talking to each other yeah. and, and, and hundreds like that listening to us, right? But... Is it time to change our, our, our views as well as a society? Like, like, there's no reason why you, Nicole, or anyone like you, or me, or anyone like me, although I'm a tough old git, should be the subject of debate like this. Yeah, I think it is definitely time. Like, it it is time to change things. And as you said, it shouldn't be the subject of it. But I think it's kind of, at the moment, they know it sells stories in one sense. Do you know what I mean? They know there's so a huge community the out there. Yeah, like there's a huge community out there that will fight these headlines or will talk about these headlines. And the more we spoke about it, the more it got out there. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So like we actually did their job for them, but we shouldn't have to be defending ourselves or defending our kids or anything like that. I think it is time to realise that. Like, And I've always said it, like Riley's just like any other seven-year-old little boy. He just sees things differently and does things differently. Yes. Like he still has... You know, he still woke up this morning and told me he needed a three day weekend. He didn't want to go to school because he was tired. Do you know, yeah. like he he like he does normal everyday things as well. And I think that's what we have to realize that, you know, he just needs that little bit more support. And that's yeah. something that he can have. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. make him any different, but um, it's getting there. I think there, it is it is a lot better. Even in the five years that Riley's been diagnosed, there's a huge change. Yeah. There is a massive change and people are so accepting and so understanding with him. Oh, yeah. But um, it's I mean, something I think that we're all going to be a, a paper like the Telegraph or if you were to come over here and say the Times or the Independent or the Examiner that shouldn't be so quick to rush to publication on, on what mm. is effectively a scientific theory Yeah, is that what you're saying? That the papers shouldn't carry stuff Yeah, I don't think like they this. should but like, in one, like, there's kind of a double-edged sword with that I suppose that like in one sense as you said, research is ongoing. So unless they tell us that these things are going on, we don't know that they're happening. But then in another sense, I think you have to take in the emotional side of it for our parents that are starting out on this um, journey and starting out on getting a diagnosis and stuff, that it is a bit of a kick in the teeth to read things yes. sometimes, you know. Yes. But as I said, then we're probably worse because yeah. we shared it all at the weekend. We shared, you know, our thoughts on it and stuff. Yeah. It got it out there more. Would it be you know? better then if the papers say did something like put that story in on Monday and then on Tuesday put in another story rubbishing it or, or you know, just should they not do it at all until there's a certain I outcome? See, I think if they put in another st- story rubbishing it in one sense, then it's kind of seen as th- they only do it because of the backlash, even though that may never be the reason. Yeah. Um, but... I don't know. It's it's kind of a double-edged sword, really, isn't it? I just think the headline that yeah. was used in this particular story was the damaging part. Yeah. Do you know what? It, it was very head, damaging. Headlines, and there's the thing. Headlines are... It's clickbait, do you know? Yeah, but headlines also, and it more so, headlines also are not written by the journalist. So the journalist yeah. who wrote the thousand words may have written a very balanced and, and, and decently written story. But the subby mm. who wrote the headline to sell the story... Yeah 
to buy the to, to sell you the paper. They're and the they ones knew it across the herd. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that's just something that needs to be not reined in, like, but you have to think of it from all angles. Do you know what I mean? I think that like there was a hell of a lot of upset parents over it. Yeah. Do you know, and I think it was more upset for their kids thinking that like do you know that they might think that but it was actually lovely that I I was speaking to a few of um my own friends who are on the spectrum and they're adults and mm-hmm. to hear their point of view and kind of saying you know like my mom and dad did everything for me and my yeah. mom and dad were the ones that like helped me to get to where I am today and they're the stories that families need to hear mm-hmm. do you know what I mean they're the stories that they need to be reading in the newspapers because that little bit of hope is everything in those early days, do you know? Absolutely. All right, listen, uh, as always, give an L high five for me, Nicole. Take care. That's uh, Nicole Dogan, mom of Riley, my boy Blue, on all the socials. It's I'm sick and tired and blue in the face of this stuff. Sarah just says, such a horrible article to read. My two and a half year old son was diagnosed in April. It broke our hearts. To read that article was upsetting and shocking. Well, Sarah, if nobody ever said it to you before now, and I hope they did, and I'm sure they probably did, but if nobody ever said it to you before now, that diagnosis had nothing to do with you. You didn't cause it. You weren't responsible for it in any way. No way at all. This is not your fault. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure you're with me every weekday on the big drive home, whether it's after work, after school, after college. I'll be here bringing you closer to the stars. I definitely get a lot of Betsy Pig shouted at me, which I don't mind. <laughs> the best music guaranteed, and always the biggest prizes. Driving you home weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM. The big drive home on Cork's 96FM. The thing that Nicole asks about whether the media should not publish stuff like this is a whole different question in itself because then you get down to, well, you know, it's science, it's research, it's a finding, it's a verified finding, it's one that is out there and being discussed at the moment. Should the media just not put it up there? is a whole discussion in itself. Because if there was research that we all agreed with, we'd want it in the newspapers. So there's the other side to that particular story. 1850 We will be moving to the next stage of our restrictions on the 22nd of October, which is two weeks from Friday or three weeks from Friday, rather, three weeks from Friday, 22nd of October, is when we move to our next stage and things start opening up. I was out at the weekend. I was at a gig in the Opera House, the, the the Flash Harry gig at the Opera House. There was about 600 people at it. I see where there was people on Instagram about dancing and singing and people taking off their masks. There were downstairs, upstairs not so much, upstairs not so much. People well, where I was anywhere were reasonably well behaved. But... Look, that's going to happen, and everybody was vaccinated. But we go back to 100% capacity after October 22nd, and all the other restrictions are removed. But they've started doing that now in Portugal. Uh, Frankie Shanley. Hi, Frankie. Good morning. Hello. Good. Are you back from Greece now, mate? Are you back in Portugal? 
Yes, I came here ten days ago to a different to a different Portugal. I have to say. Yeah. So, what had changed? Well, the last last year when I went to Greece, uh, I think it was March, and in contrast, when I went through Vienna Airport, the army were taking us off the planes um, because COVID was really kicking in at that stage, and everybody was scared. Um, and in contrast, this year. But, but in the last week, I wasn't even asked for my passenger locator form. I wasn't checked for anything. Mm. I wasn't asked, did I have my vaccine? Nothing. And I came back to Portugal thinking, mm, this is looking positive. And literally in Portugal, two days, and uh, Mr. Acosta decided that all restrictions were lifting this Friday, such as the down to the, the vaccination policy that we have here. Everything is gone. All Everything. Well, well, you have to wear a mask in a supermarket and a nursing home. But other than that, everything is lifted. Dancing is back for the first time since March 2020. Right. Um, social distancing has gone out the window. Um, n- no need for the digital search. It's, everything is just lifting. So there's no search to get into a pub or a restaurant now? No, they were saying that they were going to do that. And um, last night they've decided that, no, there's, there's no need for it because we're at, we're at 85% of the population vaccinated, which is, um, we're number one in the world uh, for vaccinations this morning. Is that the adult population now or the whole population? Because we know the whole they're, population. Not, they're not yet vaccinating yeah. the under 12s. Um, it's it's the whole population from wow. from what I know, anyways. But wow. eighty four point five percent, something like that. And and how are people uh, reacting, frankly, to all the restrictions being lifted? I mean, you, you're delighted to get back gigging properly, but but how are people reacting to all the restrictions being lifted? Um, so the, some people are anxious. Yeah. Um, uh, the younger people are obviously. Delighted nightclubs are opening and even this morning you can see them starting to get the nightclubs ready for, for the weekend for the first time ever. Well, for the first time in over a year. But um, no, there's, it's a mixture of anxiousness and, and just happiness as well that it's, it's the light at the end of the tunnel is here and it's, it's looking good. Yeah. We're in a different position than what we were last year. Yeah, I was talking to someone at the weekend who's heading over there for a few days this week and was looking forward to it. Is there is there a lot of inward tourism now? Are people grabbing the last few weeks of, of, of decent weather? Yes. Now, last night I was doing a gig in Alvor, which is, it's like mini Ireland over here, so it is. <laughs> and we had, we, you know, the, 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 it was full. Um, people that just came over in the last few days. Yeah. So it was, it was it was unusual to do a gig to a to a full crowd. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're only a few weeks away from it. I think we've three weeks now. I think we're going there on the twenty second of October, where everything will be back to one hundred percent capacity. And like that, now we'll be wearing we'll be wearing masks in the supermarket, and I assume nursing homes and hospitals. Are you wearing them on the bus? Yes, public transport. Um, you wear them on the on the bus, but I mean, this is all down to uh, the the approach that the Portuguese government took last year. Where they had a politician who was looking after the vaccinations at the start, and he lasted, I think, two months before he got sacked because it was just dismal. It was going, getting nowhere, yeah. and then they decided to take a militaristic approach to it, and they brought in um, Rear Admiral Ello, I think is his name, Henry Kello, and uh, he just. He just ran with it, and and it's because of him that we're in this position we are today. Yeah, he just 
bit just of military precision. And... Military yeah. precision. We got yeah, we got we got the army involved here as well, and it really does seem to have helped. Frankie, good luck with good luck good luck with getting back to normal, mate. Take care of yourself. That's uh, Frankie Shanley, Frankie Beats. You'll find him actually if you want to. Kiss FM Portugal. Uh, he does a, a show there. It's actually a, quite a decent station. Uh, and he does a he does a gig on it. And he does if you're if you're in Alvor or any of those parts of Portugal, chances are you've come across him. A DJ Frankie Beats. Our man in Portugal. Lucky bugger. 1850-715-996. Maeve says, if you, uh, oh yeah, did you ever look at the European figures for COVID now? They're all much lower than Ireland. I think I'd go there to be safe if it's like most those countries. Yeah, oh, we're still quite high in terms of daily caseload and we're still uncomfortably high in terms of hospitalizations. as in we're we're very stuck now on 300 people in hospital and about 60 people in ICU. Uh, but I see at the weekend where Michal Martin has said that pending clinical advice, he'd be quite happy to vaccinate the over fives. That's the stage that they want to get to. 1850-715-996, just on autism and Nicole and the article in The Telegraph. Maeve says a few years back there was an article that said diabetes in children was caused by interbreeding. They did a retraction after uproar. Yeah, that can see how that would annoy people. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. Afternoons in Cork sound better here. I've got the big tunes from all your favourite artists. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. Hi, this is Billie Eilish. What's happening, everybody? It's Tom Gwennon. I'm always good for a prize. Oh, thank you so much. That's brilliant. Thanks a lot. And big name stars on the show for a chat. Joel Corey. Personally, Ireland is my favourite place to play. You guys know it's like a second home to me and I miss it so much. In the afternoon in Cork, in the car, at work at home make sure you're with me let me show you what it's all about check it out Simon Murdoch midday to 4pm on Cork's 96FM on Friday we were talking to Elena and to Declan uh, two wheelchair users on the accessibility of Cork City Um, and they both made their own particular observations. Elena was more critical of the city, I think, than Declan was. And just the getting around in a wheelchair uh, when you use a wheelchair all of the time. And we were coming up with the point that had been made to me recently that a city streetscape or paths or something that is designed for a wheelchair user with a wheelchair user in mind, it's no problem to me to use that anyway. The reverse is not the case that a streetscape designed for me is not accessible for a person in a wheelchair, but a streetscape designed for a person in a wheelchair is obviously uh, desi- quite I mean, quite usable for me. And that's kind of where we were coming to. But Orla got in touch. Hi, Orla. How are you doing, girl? It's been a while. Hi, PJ. It's been a long time. It has indeed. How's my, how's my man? He's good. He's good. Good, good, good. So tell me about Michael's problem with the wheelchair. Right. We have often had to park outside Anglesey Street Garda Station and walk down to the South Infirmary Hospital for an appointment. Now, there is a really high path outside a garage. It's it's a working garage, like a repair garage yeah. type thing. Not a 
petrol station and the path is really high. So I have to go out onto the road to traffic coming from behind me to get up onto the path at the one of the side entrances to the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's walking on the road with a wheelchair and with a dog, right. with a canine service, companion. Service dog, yeah. yeah. With a service dog, yeah. And like I've brought it up with, um, I've informed city council of it through social media and nothing has been done. It's going to sound like an awful stupid it's, question. It's dangerous. Can you, not, can you not get into the hospital? Grounds? You have to go around by the main... I could, but there's only three spaces there now in the hospital. Right. And they're very, very hard to come by. Now, luckily, Michael was in the hospital there, in the hospital for an operation there uh, two or three weeks ago, and I did get a space because I arrived before 8 o'clock when I was in there for 20 to 8 mm. And I got a space and I had the space for the few days that we were in there. But like the spe- like I wouldn't chance having to drive down to the hospital and not getting a space nearby mm-hmm. 90% of the time and having to drive right the way around down onto the link road, I think it's called, and then having to go back up and around to Angle Street, Anglesey Street. I'm normally early for appointments, but... I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have enough time to do another lap. I got you. I if got you know you. what I mean. Oh, I do indeed. I do indeed. And the point that Elena was making on Friday about the dips in uh, they call is it a bowl or a cup they call them. They're just a dip in the footpath to allow a wheelchair on and off. Did you have a crazy yeah. situation where you've one of them at one end and none at the other end? Like that's a design, that's like, a design fault. It's nearly a fuss of a step. Like a child, a, a toddler will struggle getting up onto that step. Yeah. Yeah. So, and there's another point I want to make as well. Um, you were saying about bin men leaving bins in awkward places. Oh, yeah, that you put the bin out and then they tum- they, they fired the bin into the back of the lorry and they just horse them into the street and they could be anywhere. Yeah. PJ, you know the sign at the back of my, my vehicle. Yes, I do. It, it's obvious that it's a wheelchair user and it's a rear access. They've often left the bins where I've had to move them to get the ramp down or to even open the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's obvious that it's a wheelchair accessible Because it's written on the back of it. It's yeah. Like, it's just... I just don't... I wonder why they just can't put them back where they found them. I mean, when I when I put my bins out on the third step... Or not step, even that, at the edge of the, foot, uh, at the, edge of the foot but, step. Yeah, yeah, at the edge of the foot, yeah. Then, no, 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 don't just fire, fire them back like a kind of a random spot prize at a, at a, at a school yeah. disco. Exactly. All right. Listen, look after himself and look after yourself, Orla. Thanks very much. 1850-715-996. We also had this came in. Uh, on Friday, uh, my husband is a very, very recent wheelchair user. I was listening to your callers about the problems of accessibility downtown, and I'd like to add to that. When you're bringing the wheelchair off the ramp of the car, you need a certain amount of space to get out. On our design of car solution, the wheelchair comes out the side. Sometimes when my husband is getting out of the car, other cars come very, very close. There's going to be a terrible accident someday involving a wheelchair user dismounting. 
especially as the winches and the ramps can malfunction and you can sometimes lose control of the chair. On the topic of malfunction, my daughter was bringing my husband into the car in Harvey Norman's car park last Saturday week. And even though all our gear is less than a year old, the winch malfunctioned and she lost control of the chair. All she could do was shout, help, help. People were amazing and came running from all directions. They got control of the chair and soothed both herself and my husband. They don't know how much it means to us to help but just when we needed it. I also want to thank Ian Carey of Clarks in Bandon and Southern Mobility in Little Island who sorted us out on the Monday, double quick, which was great, as we really did need to be back in operation. I certainly do like the way we're thinking, though, or the way some people look. Designing a footpath or a car park or access to a new building or access to an old building or design it with the wheelchair user in mind. We can all use it, but if you do it the other way and design it with us in mind, they can't. And that, as they say, is hardly fair. <laughs> On Brexit, I suppose, Kevin says, I am the man that was looking for cans of Murphy's. Oh, I heard this. I, th- I think we were on to this before. Couldn't buy them in Cork, but the son brought some home from the UK. I still can't get them in Cork anywhere, and my UK stock is running out. Does anyone know a place where I can get them? It does appear to be a Brexit phenomenon. Now, I don't understand how something that's made down around the corner from me here is affected by Brexit. Presumably they can them in the UK and they bring the cans back. I don't know. But there is a Brexit problem and it's affecting Irish stock, not the UK. It appears to be to do with the ingredients. Or maybe it's the little widget in the can. Yes, because actually, there's a thing. These are the Murphy's cans with the little widget ball that does the fizz in the head. They had a problem with Guinness a few months ago with the widget can. So when you, yeah, and that's been sorted out now, I think. But I think maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Because the old flat style of the can is no good at all. Kevin. Your problems are small, my friend, but I do appreciate them. Actually, speaking of, of, of the UK and Brexit and having stuff... Was it Vic was telling us this morning that she was in Smith's Toys yesterday and the place was overrun with people getting toys. We are in for one hell of a Christmas rush between Brexit and the lack of transport and supply chains and all that. There's a global supply chain problem. It's not just Britain. There's a global problem with supply chain and trucks. They were there again. We, I don't know, is it two weeks ago now we were here one morning with a very unusual, or maybe more, a very unusual bit of traffic news that there was a goat up at St. Luke's or a couple of goats. Was it four or five goats up at St. Luke's? There was a photograph going around yesterday morning outside the Coliseum, lads. Bridget, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Very early in the morning you saw the goat. Where? Yeah, it was about six o'clock yesterday morning. I was coming down Summer Hill North and uh, I had to stop in the middle of the junction at the end of McCurtain Street because the goat was uh, having a wander around the place. He was <laughs> hold, hold, Thank God there was no traffic around. He was just holding the whole place up. <laughs> just a fine big lad too by the looks of the photograph. Yeah, we we had a bit of a standoff for a few seconds before I had to try and manoeuvre around him. Right, And no idea where he came from. I mean, there on his own. Absolutely no idea. Just there on his own, standing there looking a bit bewildered. Right. You were on your way to work or on your way home? What were you doing? No, no, I was on my way to work. 
Yeah. Were you afraid that he'd go for the car or something? No, I, you know what, PJ, I'm a country woman, so I wasn't a bit afraid of the goat, but I was more concerned about the fact that there was a few taxi drivers around that were, you know, driving around the place that they might not see him or something. That's why I sent the message in. Yeah. yeah. Because um, he was just a bit sketchy looking like. <laughs> yeah. well, he was right in the middle of the junction, wasn't he? Right in the middle and he had no notion of moving. Yeah, and you being from the country, like, I'm not asking you to interpret his thoughts or anything, but, like, did he look lost or did he just look like a fellow who was there for a stroll around? Oh, just out, just out for a stroll. Didn't look a bit lost, not a bit worried about anything. Just strolling around, having a nice, relaxed uh, Sunday morning for himself. <laughs> like, you, could, you couldn't I, make it up, could you? I, I thought he was still inside in bed dreaming. I thought he was imagining things. But there he was. And I... I and I actually got caught in St. Luke's a few weeks ago with the other bunch of them. Right, right. I don't know, there's goats everywhere these days for some reason. Well, that's just it. That's the second or third one we've had now in the last few weeks. We had the, the morning they were up around St. Luke's and one of them wandered off yeah. down towards uh, Sheila's hostel down from us here. Then we saw, I can't remember the second sighting of them, but now you've got one right down there outside the Coliseum. I know they're supposed to be opening again soon, but maybe he was trying to get in for a round of bowling or whatever it was, I don't know, game of pool or something. <laughs> maybe. Maybe he was, yeah. <laughs> was he out in the batter or where was he? <laughs> <laughs> He's on his way home from a Saturday night. He got a bit, he got a bit lost. Oh, for goodness sake. Listen, Bridget, thanks very much for that. He sent us a, he sent, a, you sent us a, a fine picture of, of the goat. Um, <laughs> tonight the goat broke loose inside the Coliseum. I know. Oh, stop it. There's people taking photographs of us and everything. Like, where are they coming from is the question I'm asking. There's got to be a farm somewhere, or there's got to be someone keeping the goats. They're not just randomly strolling around the city, are they? Or are they? Because there was one woman, I think, I saw it in Cork Bio. There was one woman found a goat in the back garden uh, and and was trying to chase it out. <laughs> the things you see. 1850 Right. Now, I was at the Opera House on Saturday night. For the Flash, Harry Gig, myself and the boy were. And we were sitting upstairs, uh, right in the middle. And around us, there were people with their with their masks on and their masks off. Uh, but most of them were sitting down. Uh, but downstairs, but that's always the way at a gig like this. And this is my sixth or seventh time being at the Flash, Harry Gig. There was a, a crowd around the moving to the front of the house the big fans are there with their t-shirts and their posters and their banners and everything it is like a mini queen gig and they were up and they were dancing susan says we were there saturday night lots of people took off their masks the staff did ask a few to put them back on but they were ignored lots of standing up and dancing too which meant we had to stand to see the stage because we were nearer to the back I don't care what people do because we had our masks on. But what annoyed me was the band encouraging the audience to take off their masks and sing and stand to dance. It was very disrespectful to the staff who were doing their best. Yeah, at one point, Harry, that's the lead singer in the band, brought the promoter Tom out onto the stage to take a photograph of a socially distanced crowd. And look, they were talking about being so excited to be back in front of a crowd again. And you have to kind of take that into account as well. For musicians like that, it must be so great to be back in front of a live crowd again. I must say, I have to say, looking downstairs into the pit, as it were, it was a bit close for comfort, to be fair. It was a bit close for comfort. And you could see the staff 
were trying to get their get people to sit down. The counter argument of that is that they were very strict on Saturday night about vaccination and they were very strict about the queuing in and queuing out. There was no bar. So maybe people are thinking, well, everyone in here is vaccinated. We've all been checked. You know, we're, we're all wore our masks going in and going out. If we can't let down our hair a small bit now, when we're back to 100% capacity in three weeks' time, is there much hope for us? That was that was one point of view. But another one, I must look and say, yeah, maybe we are just... I don't know. I don't know, lads. I don't know. 1850-715-996. Murphy's have to send it out to... Uh, thank you. Murphy's must send it to England to get it put in cans. But the supply chain can't get it back to us. Therein is the problem. It must be the widgets then. It must be the little gas widget that's inside in the can. Because I think that's what happened with the Guinness. The Guinness ran out because they were they were canning it in the UK and they couldn't get the widgets. Yep, that seems to be been the problem. There's your answer, Kevin. That's why you can't get them here because they have to go to England to get the button put in the cans. But they can't get them back in because of the supply chain. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. The Douglas Credit Union current account 5K race will take place on Sunday, the 3rd of October at Tremor Valley Park at 11 a.m. The race will be chipped and timed, and you can register online at popupraces.ie. Proceeds from the event are in aid of Cork Cancer Care and RNLI Crosshaven. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Just to, to clarify with regard to the weather, what I hate is the cold and the wet and the wind and the damp and the muck and the dirt and the filthy. Like at the moment, I think autumn is filthy. A filthy, dirty season with dirty, dead leaves everywhere clogging up the drains. and uh, It's horrible. It's lovely, lovely and colourful. And then you get the first bit of wind and rain and all the, all the drains are blocked. Who, who likes that? And then the winter is cold and wet and windy and damp and the old cold goes into your bones. Now, if we had nice crisp winter weather like they have in some parts of the world, then I'd live with it. BJ, I think the exact same as you. You're describing everything I feel. How can be? How can people be excited by fires and the darkness, says Lorraine. Thank you, Lorraine. Thank you. Maria, I agree 100% with PJ about the weather. John even agrees. John O'Donovan even agrees with me. And she doesn't agree with me on much. But just to show he can, he fully agrees with me. Not a fan of of winter at all. No, I hate it. I hate, And I think a lot of people, you know, uh, a lot of people go, oh, I love it. I love the cosy fire. It's, no, you're not. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're pretending you do. Because really, really, you can't possibly like going out in the morning. It's pouring wet and it's raining and it's cold. Coming out back in the... It's cold, it's wet and it's raining. 
No, 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 no. Like I said, if I could hibernate, I would. I need someone to keep warm. No, that's fine. I keep warm just fine. Thank you very much. I am a creature of the light, and the light is abandoning me, and I am upset by that. Pat is a taxi driver, spotted two goats up in Mayfield, run Tinker's Cross, around 7 o'clock last Wednesday morning. Thought he was seeing things, two big lads, just wandering around. You wouldn't know what way they'd run. Are they dangerous? That's a good question. Does anybody listening here actually farm goats or have a goat? Uh, would give us a call and tell us. Like that big goat that was down there by the Coliseum yesterday yesterday morning that a caller was telling us about. Like was that dangerous? Like if she got out of the car and, and tried to shoo him off the road or something. Like would he attack her? Or would he attack the car if she nosed up? So, I know nothing about goats other than that they'll eat anything. They'll eat thistles and they'll eat briars and they'll eat your clothes off the line if you let them. But aren't they dangerous in any way? Because it looks like we're being invaded by them. 1850-715-996. We are coming through, well, we have been coming through, a period of crisis and uncertainty, uh, unmatched in our lifetimes, and we hope unmatched for the rest of the time we have on the planet. But I think you'll agree with me that since, say, the 29th of February 2020, when the first case was confirmed in Ireland, the first COVID-19 case was confirmed. And since the early part of March, when the first death was confirmed, the, the hardest thing to deal with for many people has been the uncertainty. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what's happening. You don't know about the school. You don't know about whether they're going to be able to go and see loved ones. You don't know whether you can have a family event. You worried and the uncertainty was so hard. I think for many people, it was the hardest part of it to deal with. Now, some people thrived on it. Some people's personality is such that they can live with uncertainty and it actually drives them a bit. And sometimes people perform better in an uncertain, in an uncertain world. There are two different, two or three different kinds of us there. I'm halfway in between. I had days where the uncertainty was just something I got on with and dealt with. And by God, I had times when I hated it and I just wanted to be sure of where we were going. And you wonder what's going to happen when it's all open and over and we can go back to some kind of normal. And there's a lot of research, isn't there? Always a lot of research into this kind of thing. Um, how some people thrive on uncertainty and, and some people don't. Let's bring in Catherine Hallisey, our good old friend on the programme. Hi, Catherine. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. It is, or it has been, one of the hardest elements of of the last 20 months or so, trying to go through the uncertainty of it all. Some people it suited, some people it didn't. Why is that? Um, I think it's really interesting to actually step back and think about this. It's not something we often think about, but we know that some people are more comfortable with the uncertain than others. Um, you know, this is just like we have people who are slow to warm up and people who are outgoing and gregarious. This is just a temperament feature that some of us are uh, happier with uncertainty than others. And, you know, if you think of small babies, you know, everything is new to them. Mm. And they spend their time trying to figure the world out. And then they develop these models in their head of how the world should be. 
And it just enables you then to focus on other things. Because if you're starting every day fresh where everything is uncertain, you can't really, I suppose, excel at other things because you're constantly trying to filter in new information. Mm. So we make these plans and predictions and that that enables us, I suppose, to live a more well-balanced, rounded, more rounded life. And but obviously everything changed last year and our models of how the world works, how we socially interact with one another, even where we go to work, how we go to the shop, all of that, everything changed. And that uncertainty is one of the reasons why there's been a huge increase in anxiety, because we have much more information to filter. And, you know, people listening, they might have noticed that they're more tired Mm. than they would have been. And part of that is that we're just processing way more information in um, and a lot of our old models had to be scrapped. Mm. Mm. And the fact that some people like to lay their lives out or their families' lives out months in advance, like you've got something like a a family event of any kind, a communion, confirmation, wedding coming up, and people like to make plans and they like to be ready. And some people don't like surprises. And the last 20 months has been surprise after surprise after surprise. Very much so. And, you know, it's one thing when it's a nice surprise, mm. uh, but it's another thing when it's, the, you know, and even the very simple thing, like we had communion at the weekend and everybody had an idea in their head, say, two years ago, of what communion would look like in their family, whether it's a big event or going to a restaurant and even something as simple as not having a date for the communion on the 1st of September. Like all of that uncertainty, whereas normally you'd have that date maybe eight months in advance. Mm -hmm. So again, it just adds to the cognitive load. That's just the amount of information you're trying to carry in your head. And the reason why we generally thrive on routine, particularly during times of stress, is that there's just less for us to think about less for us to process. And then we can, if we can make the everyday things more routine, then we have more room and space for spontaneity. It's kind of counterintuitive, really. Mm. It's actually through having some routine that then we can enjoy spontaneity because we have more space in our lives for it. Mm. And there was the weird thing, but I remember saying in the course of the, the year more than once that what I missed most in, in terms of life outside of home and work I missed spontaneity. I I missed the spontaneity of meeting a friend randomly walking down the street at seven o'clock on a Friday evening and chatting about the the week we've just had and saying, come on, will we go for a pint? I missed the spontaneity of of that. And you kind of wonder, like, as, as life goes back to normal, who'll fare better? The one that didn't like the uncertainty or the one that dealt with it? You know, I, I think we, we probably can't reduce it to that. I think no. that one of the big reasons why some people fare better than others is just their personal circumstances. You know, so depending on, um, you know, did you have financial stress during this or not? Like some people were fine. Some people weren't. You know, did you or someone in your life have extreme health concerns during this time? So I think it's more likely to be down to that because, you know, what you're talking about there, you know, this um, this love of a little bit of social spontaneity it's just preferences and we get over those kinds of things 
Yeah. It's more it's more the bigger things, the more kind of critical stresses like um, health concerns, education concerns, financial concerns. They're the things that have the more of a long term impact. Yeah. And look, we, we all have, I suppose, different coping skills as well, depending on, you know, you come into the world with a certain amount of coping skills, but also your life experiences um, shape that as well. Mm. Does uncertainty uh, change our decision making process, Catherine? Well, one thing it does is we, most of us tend to obsessively seek information. So you might have noticed yourself checking your phone more or listening Mm -hmm. to the news more or, you know, the way we all were at the start listening to the numbers. I got to about day six and I said, I'm not listening to the numbers anymore because I could feel that it was actually stressful for me. Whereas other people found that calming. Again, it's just personal preference, personal Mm. temperament. I knew it wasn't working for me. So it's it's actually tuning into your own personal mm. way of doing things. And yet, if so I we have the, some people if, like if I got to a day where I missed the numbers, Catherine, and this is the early days, not so much lately. But mm. I, I, if I missed the numbers, I would be frantically checking them at ten o'clock at night to find out what the numbers yeah, were. Yeah. So- so that's a really, really good example of temperament. So for you, it was, it seems to have been good for you. But for me, it would have been anxiety provoking. And if my husband ever tried to tell me the numbers, I'd be like, what are you telling me for? <laughs> Don't tell me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we, we have different ways of coping with things. So that's just one example. And then some people were obsessively seeking information. And then because everything felt random, some people were leaving decisions up to chance. Like there's a a study that just came out there about, um, you know, times of uncertainty. Some people are like, you know, are really trying to control everything, whereas others are, you know, bringing in the element of chance, you know, like making decisions based on a coin toss or almost outsourcing your responsibility for the decision. And like a very tiny example, were you ever in a restaurant and you were overwhelmed by choice? And you just asked asked the server, what's good here? Yes. So that's an example of outsourcing your decision making. And it's just because there's too much choice. You're not really sure what you want. Yes, we let or someone else make the decision to, for us. Yeah, or if you ask for a recommendation for the wine. Mm. You know, so looking for recommendations and there was so much of it, like if you go on to any discussion board, people are constantly seeking recommendations and it's to help them with decision making in uncertain times. They can be small, tiny. Yeah, yeah, small, tiny decisions. And look, we're we're social species. We're a connection seeking species. We, We value the judgments of others to a certain extent, but it's because we're trying to filter so much information. And we're thinking, oh, well, if I can just get a recommendation from someone. Um, I had to buy a new camera recently and I contacted a friend who knows about this stuff. And he was telling me, look, the most important thing is to do your research. And I was like, no, no, this is my research. I'm asking you. Yes, what would you recommend? And it was because there, yeah. Yes, and it was just there was too much information. So I was outsourcing the responsibility for deciding on the camera to him because I know he's an expert in it. Yes, yes. And what you wonder then why you probably were you sitting there going, well, why is he telling me to do this? Because he's the expert. If he tells me buy XYZ camera, I'll buy XYZ camera because because he's an expert. And that's yeah. And I, I okay, just said, I just said, tell, I said, tell me what you have and I'll buy that. And then I did. <laughs> So that's just a very basic example of it. We all do it because it's just so much information. And when there's so much uncertainty, especially new situations and new information, we find ways to simplify. Mm. So it's just like you go to a new city in the old days, you get a guidebook. Now you just have your phone, but you're looking up 
where is good to eat. Yeah. And again, that's just when there's so much uncertainty, you outsource those decisions. So it can be something flippant like a coin toss. Or it can be, what's the way to cut through the noise and get a good recommendation? Yeah. And, you know, if you're ever buying something, you know, you might you might do a little reading of the blurb, but most of us go straight to the reviews. Mm. <laughs> Again, we're seeking more certainty and outsourcing a little bit of the responsibility. Well, if the reviews are pretty good, then I'll get it. Right. If there's a couple of bad reviews, maybe... Right. You know? so, so maybe our own individual decision-making skills are not being used. Well, excuse me. No, it's actually a very good um, use of our decision-making skills oh. because we could spend hours or days or be like me, paralysed with indecision over the camera. And a really good decision is to say, actually, that's not a good use of my time. I'm going to crowdsource information, say by looking at the reviews, or I'm going to go to an expert. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a very, very good use of our mental space. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spend loads of time thinking about things that, you know, I'm much better off just making the decision and being done with it. But I don't want to make the wrong decision. So mm-hmm. that's why I'll either go to the expert expert or crowdsource. Assuming that everything is going to be okay in the next few months, and we are assuming that, who will fare better, Catherine? The person who struggled with the uncertainty or the person who dealt with it as a matter of course? So look, coping skills and resilience, we know that um, the ability to tolerate uncertainty is is helpful so that you're not paralysed by that uncertainty or paralysed by fear. But really, it's the people who already were starting on a good footing with financial health and education. You know, they're always the things that help you fare Mm. better. Mm. But then if all of those things were equal, um, just the ability to hold, you know, have a space for all of this stress, but that it doesn't dominate your entire life. So I've been saying from the beginning, don't overexpose yourself to bad news. We yeah. know that overexposure to bad news actually reduces your coping skills. It's an anxiety behavior, this obsessive seeking of information. And so instead of feeding it, you might say, okay, what would be a better way for me to manage this bit of anxiety and stress now? And it's look, it's, it's basics, you know, that we all know we should do, but we find hard to do. Get a bit more sleep, get a bit more exercise, connect with people, build up your support network. You know, it's it's really, really basic stuff. So it's the people who do the basics better. They're the ones who fare better. Okay. All right. Always a pleasure to speak with you, uh, Catherine Hallisey, child psychologist. And of course, she's on social media. You'll find her, Catherine Hallisey, psychologist. Uh, how have you dealt with it, though? It's been a horribly uncertain time. Has the uncertainty been a botheration for you? Take the typical thing, the simple thing like the children's communion or confirmation. Some of them were cancelled two, three and four times. Like, did you just say, oh, well, we'll go again? Or did you, were you pulling out what little hair you'd left? Here we go. I just want some. Are you one of these people that likes something to be A, B, C, D? Or are you someone that takes a chance when something goes mad? And how have you dealt with it? And how are you? How do you feel about it all being over soon? And how will you cope? 1850 PJ, they have Murphy's in the carry out off license uh, by Watercourse Road past O'Reilly's Garage. Thanks, Mick. That's for our listener who was trying to get some, some Murphys in Cairns. On the weather, Aaron says we disagree, PJ. Give me the autumn or the winter any day over the summer. 
The beautiful colours is the autumn, the smells, the chill in the air. I'll give you the colours. I'll give you the colours. You can keep the chill. And when the rain and wind comes, well, come over and sweep me drive, will you? Because I'm pulling leaves out of drains already and I absolutely hate it. And they're dirty and they're wet and they're damp. So if you want to come and clean me drains, that, that's great. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Gary says, morning PJ, you might have SAD, seasonal affective disorder. No, I just hate it, Gary. I don't get depressed about it. I just absolutely hate it. Maria bought a light therapy lamp to help me go through the winter and the lack of light. Yeah, some people do get actually sick. I don't. I just, as I said, I just hate it. 1850 Kevin says, this happens to you every year, PJ. Maybe you have SAD. You genuinely can't stand it. No, Kevin, I, I, I know someone who has it, so it's a totally different thing. I just, I just dislike it intently. Uh, but to, to anyone who has the condition known as SAD, uh, they, they, they have my sympathies because it must be awful. It doesn't actually make me sick. I just sick of it. <laughs> 1850 715 There was a demonstration on Friday in Bishop Lucy Park. Uh, Nadim, is he on the WhatsApp? He is. Hi, Nadim. Good morning to you. Good morning, sir. Now, we got, an, we got a note about you on Friday that you have been... Yeah. You were working... You were working in security um, during yeah. the pandemic and now you've been served with a deportation order. Tell me a bit about yourself. No, no, no sir. It's not about a deportation order. Okay. It's a refusal. It was a refusal okay. what uh, ICO have given me. It was a refusal. I see. So, and then I have applied for the leave to remain. Okay. Okay. Tell me about yourself. Where are you from? I am from India, sir. My name is Nadim Hussain. I stay on Kinsel Road Accommodation Center. Okay. Since three years, I'm here. And I am first I work in KFC okay. in Douglas. Then I came in the security industries. Then I'm working in the security. Sometime I work in hospitals, sometime in malls, sometime in, in the various places when they need a security. Sure. Sure. And and you, you come from Calcutta. India, sir. India. Do do something yeah. for me. Um, I call me call I call me PJ. You don't need to call me, sir. Okay. Okay, sir. We're we're our friend. You're my friend. You you don't need to call me. You sir. don't need to call me, sir. Call me, PJ. So, um, in the on twenty seventh March, two thousand eighteenth, if you will go on Google also, you can check. There was a riot on Hindu Muslim, yeah. and in that time, my father and mother was died. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, and that time. I I was, I was doing CPIM party because my father was also in that same party, CPIM. And I was also a member of that. Okay. It's a political party. And they 
killed my father and mother and then he i got also the injured i have given to the ipo every evidence death certificate also of my father and mother and everything i have given what evidence they want and after that they refused me but i don't have any problem with that but i want to say only one thing that i already applied a leave to remain also sure. there are three ladies who have given me a reference letter there are too many friends who are emailing for me and there are my where i stay kinsel road accommodation center you can ask to the managers also i in 3 years i never done any wrong thing never quite she also have given me a reference letter sure. everything i have submitted for the leave to remain and copy to the minister of justice and copy to the president office is consultancy cork yeah. and i'm waiting for that cork yeah. is my family cork is my family they showed me love i am not in in the fighting i am not fighting to anyone i, I have not done anything bad everybody is good here but i am just pleading i am just pleading you can check my statements what i have given i am just pleading just pleading but nobody is responding me okay and and you you fear that because of your political affiliation that if, yes, you, if you had to go back if you had to go yeah. back you would be in danger yeah. yes sir because there is an aadhar card you know id card identity card yes, yes. and there i have a fingerprint if i go india and if i do anything if i used to buy a sim card then i have to use that identity card or if i want to take a house then i have to do the identity card in india if you do anything like a pps card yes in here also if we do something officially so they need a pps card am i right sir yes correct yes and that thing i already said to the ipo also i said to there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There also, the, the same thing is my ID card and there is my fingerprint. Yeah. And you were afraid that because of the current political administration in India. Sir, everybody knows in 2007 when Modi was uh, only a chief minister of Gujarat, he killed too many Muslims. And I have two points. One, I am Muslim. Yes. And second thing, I am connected to the political party. Yes, this and was there the, is communist, no... the Communist Party of India. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I have given my ID card, everything, sir. Yes. You can check, and every copies I have given to everywhere. I have showed to TDs also. I have showed everyone what evidences I have given. Yes. And then now I'm not telling anything. I'm not telling anything to anyone. Okay. I have not given any bad comments to everyone because oh. I am not because Ireland have given me food. Ireland have given me a work. I love Cork. Cork is my family. Yes. Just I have appealed for the leave to remain, but till now there is no response. So from anywhere. You you have applied, yes? And yeah, yeah, I already and, and you have been refused, yes? No, 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 no. No. I have refused for the subsidiary protection and our refugee status. But now I have an option for the leave to remain. Okay. So I already I already applied to leave to remain. To oh, the I see. IPO. I, I apologize. I'm a bit confused about the process. Are, are you are you okay? By the way, you you you're all right to stay talking to me. You you seem upset, and I understand that. Yeah. yeah. Are you, I mean, are you? I'm. Yeah. Sir, just I am pleading. I am a only helpless man. I'm pleading to everyone. I'm pleading, please. Help me. What, what Help you, me. What, what I age have, are you? I am 36 year old, sir. Okay. 17, 11, 1986 is my birth update. Okay, okay. And and you're in the middle of the process now and we, we've emailed yes. the Department of Justice to see can we get a statement. Yes, um, yes sir. Okay. Do you have some... In my first article, in my first article, the department have given a statement, if you can see, they have given a response from the department. The Department of Justice does not comment individual case. How it is the each application protection is examined in details, but permission of the remain is included of the full consideration of the private family rights in accordance to the European rights, human rights, and the work situation. So I am working I am not a burden of anyone. Yes, yes, and and you have been and you have been working in the hospitals. You have been working on the front line during the pandemic. Yes, yes. We, in level we, five, we, I have. We owe you a debt of in, thanks. We owe you thanks. Yeah, in level five, you know, in level five in KFC, that time I was working when nobody was called out. <laughs> nobody was. I was the first person who gone in the bus station. 
it, I was walking to the road in there and then I take the bus and then I worked in Douglas. I have a certificate also that I have worked in the level five because that time we need to show the letter because there was a, if you work, you, before five, five kilometer, you have to show to the guard. Right. Am I right? That's right. I, I had, it. We, we had those letters ourselves here to allow us to go to and from work. Yes. yes. I have I have a letters that also, sir, I have given to the IPO. And now I'm just pleading. I don't want to do anything, just pleading, pleading to the, my family, pleading to the cork. And 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 when when will you know, Nadim? When when will you know I don't know. I don't know, sir. I don't know. Every I am in a very depression. Very, very very depression. Okay. I am. I am in very depression. Okay. I can't sleep. I can't. Sleep. You can ask to the manager of Kitsil Road Accommodation Center. I have done nothing wrong in three years. She has given me a reference letter also. So you can understand. I can show you that also. No, you don't need to show me anything. I believe you. I totally believe Sister, you. I totally believe I am, you. I am doing a security job. If there, if there is anything or any criminal charges against me, how I get the license? No, no, no. Everybody believes you, I think, Nadim, at this stage. You, you, you've, you've been here, you've worked, you've contributed to, to our society during a pandemic, you know, you, you, and you just want to stay. Just, I don't want anything. I don't ask any help, money, anything, nothing, sir. <laughs> You know, from when that letter came, I can't sleep because there is no response of my leave to remain. I have a, I have already emailed every documents to the prime minister's office also, and they have given me one mail from the secretary of prime minister, uh, Mr. Martin, yes, Michael Martin, yes. given me a, given me a letter that. He will see the matter, but till now there is no no response. Okay. And see, till if there will be no response coming, I can't sleep, I can't eat, I can't do anything because I am in scared in here also. I am in scared. You know, in Kinsel Road Accommodation Center, Hindu Hindu attacked me. That also the everybody knows. I was sleeping in my room, okay. and he came with a stick and hit me. Yeah, well, and said you are a, you are the Indian Muslim. That, that's something that needs to be sorted out, I guess, within the centre. And I hope it was. I, I hope it was. But let's 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 focus at on your own situation. You are looking for leave to remain. You yes, don't, sir. and and that's all you want. You 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 want you want, you want to stay and work in Ireland where you've been for the last couple of years. And and I think it's fair to say, Nadim that if you had to go back, you would fear for your life. That's the reason, sir, I am crying. That's the reason I am pleading, sir. In India, you can see the statements over there. I have a own, I was on own house, own shop, everything. That cost, that cost is 3 lakh euro. 3 lakh euro, all my property. So why I'm three leaving three all this? That's, that's about 300,000, isn't it? 3 lakh yeah, yes. That's no, right, no. Right. So, uh, why I am in here and living like this? Income tax certificate also I have given. 
So why I am in here? Because I've, I am a genuine refugee. Genuine, because I have given a death certificate also of my father and mother. I am a genuine <laughs> do, do you have do you have someone to be with you when I finish this call because I'm worried about you? Do you have someone that you can talk to or be with for the next little while? No, sir, nobody. Okay. Do, I hope if someone is listening in the centre at the moment that you, I, you know, look after you. You know, after this, uh, I can't sleep. I can't shave, I can't haircut. You can see me in when I was standing in in that place also, you see my photographs. Okay. I can't sleep all night. I have done today duty in UCG and coming direct and then I I can't sleep, sir, because okay. I don't know what is going to happen. Okay. Well 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 we would hope that, that nothing will happen to you until your leave to remain is properly processed. And we have am, we have asked the Department of Justice for a statement to see will they tell us anything, can they help with anything for you. All I would say now is I, I'm going to have to leave you, but I would hope that you have somebody around you that you can call a friend or somebody just to come and be with you because you've been very, very brave and very, very courageous in talking to me here. And I thank you for everything you have done for Cork during the pandemic. Yes, I am telling you only one thing, sir. Up to Monday, I will just wait and wait, wait. And after that, from next Monday, I will be in a hunger strike. I'm not going to eat anything. The only person that you will hurt by doing that is yourself, Nadim. But look, that is a matter for you. If that would, the, the only person that you would hurt would be yourself if you were to because, do that. Because uh, I don't know, I don't know what is going to happen. Try to understand. I'm I depressed. Understand. I'm depressed. The, incert- I'm the, the uncertainty is killing you. <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> Fiona, could you, could you talk to him there and we, I'll, I'll let him go because it's very distressing now. We've got some numbers for people that he might be able to talk to and hopefully we get some help. If you need to talk to the Samaritans or anybody, or NASC, NASC would be a good group of people to talk to. Um, you, can, you can talk to them on 4273594. Uh, the Samaritans at one one six one two three. You can call call the emergency numbers. We are very worried about you. What we want you to do is just put put you back on hold there. Talk to Fiona for just a second. I'd like to think that you had somebody around you to mind yourself. Um, Look, take care of yourself. Okay, find somebody to talk to. And and, and see if anyone can help you because this is a very distressing call. Um, But thank you for being with us on the programme. Thank you for speaking to me on the Opinion Line. Thank you for everything you have done for people here in Cork during the pandemic. And here's hoping that you will get the leave to stay that means so much to you. Thank you very much, um, Nadim. I'm not sure how to finish that. I really am not sure how to finish that, except to say that the Samaritans are at 116123. NASC, who could provide great information for him, are on 021 427 uh, A&E or ambulance are 112 or could call a GP. Um, 
maybe someone like Graham Clifford or someone like Kate Durant, who both help a lot with people in his situation, could could be of, of some assistance to him. Just be a friendly voice on a phone. That's worrying. That's that's a, that poor man. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Singer-songwriter Declan O'Rourke has announced 12 Irish dates in 2022, one of which will come to live at St. Luke's Cork on Friday 11th of March. Check out the Venue's website for further details. Access all areas. Comedy is coming back to City Limits in October with Bernard Casey and guests on Saturday the 2nd, Carl Spain and Barry Murphy on Friday the 8th and Saturday 9th, and two nights with David McSavage at the end of the month. Further details at thecomedyclub.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition, or gig coming up, or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Uh, Deputy Michael Collins, Independent TV for Cork Southwest. The Cataract Express is still running. That's what they've nicknamed the bus that goes up every so often to the north where people in need of cataract operations, but waiting lists are ridiculously long, people in need of the operations get the bus, they go up, they have it done at an NHL hospital, NHS hospital, they pay, and then they get reimbursed by the HSE within a number of weeks. It's been going on quite successfully for a number of years. Is it one or two, guys, he's on? Give me one, give me two. But there's the future of it is in doubt because there's been no commitment made to keep funding it. Not too sure whether this is a Brexit-related thing or not. Maybe Deputy Collins can tell us. Michael, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, the, the, the system is quite simple, that the people pay the NHS hospital, they get the bus up, they get their cataract operation done, they stay overnight and they come back down the next day, and then the HSE reimburses them all of or most of the money. What's the story? Yeah, and in the situation with the cataract, it's it's it costs about two thousand and ninety five pounds, and they get eighteen hundred and fifty back, which is almost all of it back. Not 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 the full amount, but almost all of it. It solves it. You know, we, it was named the EU cross border directive, and then last year, according to the, the English and the Northern Ireland going out of the EU, it was renamed the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme, which the government, the Irish government, decided to fund yes. um, as a new scheme. Now the problem is. They only gave a year's uh, commitment uh, and that scheme a year's funding and the year is almost up and, and now we're back in the same situation as we were at the tail end of last year right. pleading with them to continue to start a new scheme. Now we're pleading with them to continue the scheme that started. Because initially the danger was Brexit, wasn't it? And then this new name that, that, or the new commitment from the government to keep funding it, that dealt with the Brexit hurdle. But But that runs out now soon, does it? It does. It's running out at the end of this year, at the end of December. Now, you know, we're pleading with them to not alone continue, but also we say reinvent it for the next four to five years that people, we can't be in the situation at the end of every year, pleading with the ministers, pleading with the government, the teachers of the day or whatever, that the scheme can continue. It's, it's, it's cataract, yes, by the thousands in, in the Cork County and, 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 and in Kerry. There's hips, knees, carol, uh, tunnel, 
Um, every procedure has been done in, in either Kingsbridge Private Hospital or the Ulster Independent Hospital in Belfast or, or any other uh, hospital. Oh, so it's gone, it's gone beyond just cataracts? Michael. Oh, it is, absolutely. A, a huge amount of people are going up. You know, we used to take hips and knees patients uh, for the consultation with the cataract bus. Now, since the pandemic, we're, our numbers on the bus ha- have to be limited. So what we're doing is, is, is directly linking the hospitals with the patient that needs the hip, knees, as I said, carpal tunnel. And even last week, I was on to a dental surgeon there in relation to orthodontic treatment, um, which can be done on the cross-border uh, scheme, or sorry, the Northern Ireland Health Plant Healthcare Scheme that's there now. Um, because people are waiting since 2017 children for orthodontic treatment so mm. we're looking at every medical procedure that can be possibly done mm. in the Northern Ireland that can be, you know, that can be carried out there at sending patients and, and tell me Michael, was it a thing that the cross-border directive had to be renewed every year or was that continuous? No, that was continuous. That was and continuous. Is, and it is continuing right across Europe uh, at the moment but you know, people find it a lot more simplified to go to Northern Ireland obviously by of car, course. by bus you know, right there. So, you I take it that you'll be in a position to bring this up in the doll, will you? I I have brought it up with um, uh, Michael McGrath, Minister for uh, Finance, um, and there about maybe three months ago, he said that they're looking favourably about continuing, but looking favourably, and it's an, an announcement we're yes. short of. And I certainly will. There's up to a million people on waiting list on this side of the country. Uh, the cross. Border directive was used a little less last year because it was discontinued for quite a period of time during the height of the pandemic in the north and in the south. Yes. Uh, it's up and running now again and it's as busy as, as ever I find it even busier. And people are frantic now because they're worried it's ending at the end of December and they're frantically ringing me to try and see can they get it done now when if the minister announces it could alleviate and take the pressure off. I see. People might, might because you, you, you now can't obviously book buses into 2022, can you? I, I, I am in a situation that we're booking. We've been there during the summer, maybe around three a month. Um, we're at the same situation now. I might even have to move that up to four uh, buses a month because people are pa- panicking now. That yeah. maybe could hold off in January, February. No, that's what I meant. Now. That's what, you're, you're not in a position now, Michael, oh, no. I think, oh, to, book, to book for 2022, yeah. no? No, no, absolutely no. I can't do that until the Minister announces the continuation of the scheme if they're going to do that. If it won't, it'll lead to a catastrophic circumstance because we're talking quite a lot about housing now. I think the biggest issue we're going to be talking next year is, is health and, and people needing surgical procedures and, and waiting for uh, indefinitely for these surgical procedures. And people, you know, they're suffering with hips, knees, are going blind because people that ring me usually tell me they've rang the, the, the some firm or wherever in Cork and they're told, oh yeah, you'll get your cataract uh, operation 2024, 2025. And they yeah. can't, they're, they're within months of... And tell blind. me something, Michael, again, keep it with the cataracts because that's where this all started. So yeah. let, let, us, let us suppose that I would need a cataract and the, and the doctor in the South Infirmary has told me, well, you'll have your cataract operation in 2024 or early 2025. And I ring you and you, how quickly can you get me on a bus and get my cataract done in normal circumstances? I'd say between two to four weeks. Get off. Yeah, it's as quick as that. I had a gentleman with me in my clinic abandoned uh, from Clannock Hilty. He was urgent case and I told him uh, the 16th of October last Friday and, and that was his first time coming into me. Um, so it's two to four weeks mainly. We, we, you know, we, we can up the amount of, of, of uh, spaces in the theatre in Kings of Broward Hospital if we have to. Um, we're lucky enough. We have a very good relationship with them and it's a very professional relationship. They're going up on a Saturday mainly, uh, consultation Saturday evening, 
operation Sunday morning, bus outside the door, bring them straight home uh, Sunday evening. And that's the way it's worked. It's a very successful scheme. We probably have taken 2,500 people. Uh, Councilor Ben Dalton O'Sullivan uh, is, is working yeah, with no me, ben. as well yeah. as Denny Healy Ray, and uh, three of us are working on that. And, and uh, in fairness, it's, it's worked very, very successfully. And we have no choice because they are going to go blind. I, there's no choice uh, in, the, in, in the Cork side of, of, yes. of this. And I'm taking people from Tipperary, Limerick uh, in the last few weeks as well, but mainly it's Cork Kerry is the, is, is the main problem. Crikey. And they get 1,800 of it back. The eighteen hundred and, and and fifty back, and they have to stay overnight. Yeah, but um, the bus, the bus, and the whole thing is is sorted for them. Basically, all they have to do is get a referral letter and start yes. out the money. And in fairness to the credit unions, they've been brilliant. They've given bridging loans to people yeah. because in relation to the Catholic is two thousand and ninety five. In relation to the hip, it could be between ten and twelve thousand. And we'll say if a hip costs twelve thousand, I think they get back ten and a half, roughly around that. Right. So obviously, then sometimes people don't have that. And how money. quickly did they get? How quickly do you? get your money back? Five weeks. Uh, your reimbursement once you fill your forms uh, that, that the hospital will give you um, on the day of the operation. Then um, send the farms uh, into Kilkenny, the HSE in Kilkenny, and in fairness, they've been very good there. Uh, they'll have your money back in about five weeks. Crikey. It's a fantastic scheme that cannot possibly be allowed to, to end. Michael, thank you. That's Michael Collins, Independent TD for Cork Southwest. On what used to be the cross border directive is now called the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme. That has to be, that has to be kept going. Absolutely has to be. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Just getting back to Kevin's problem with them. Um, oh, no, actually, no, I'll tell you. I'll do that in a minute. Just to reassure you again, uh, we have been in touch with uh, Dean um, after the conversation he had with me on the show in the last hour we've been in touch with him and we've extended information to him about resources people he might talk to he has a friend in the centre and when last Fiona spoke to him he was going in to talk to that friend and uh, they're both very upset but at least they're upset together kind of thing and we've put some resources his way and we'll make sure he's got someone to deal with him Um, we'll see if we can't jiggle it up the line a bit we've sent messages to the Department of Justice and we're I think we're going to um, make some intervention if we can with uh, Minister Simon Coveney's office to see what can be found out at least not so much what can be done so if anybody was concerned about him uh, he's okay now we were we've done our best for him off the air and we'll continue to keep across him uh, with regard to Kevin, it's it's almost to go to anything less or more trivial. It almost seems unfor- insulting to do it. But look, these are the things. Kevin was on earlier on talking about not being able to get cans of Murphy's. It seems to be down to the fact that this Murphy has to go to England to be canned and then back in here. And the problem is in the supply chain. Therein lies the issue. No cans of Murphy's in Cork is bad enough, says this fella. I bought a bag of ice in Aldi. And the bag it said made in England, you mean ice had to come 
from England. Well, that's presumably where their supplier is. But yeah, that would be the case. We're anyway. I, it, it almost seems unfortunate to be doing that when we have had such a, a strong and serious call in the last hour. But look, that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Uh, that poor man deserves to stay. He's done an awful lot more than some Irish layabouts have done for our country. There's a message coming in. Your last two, two digits there are four two. Thank you for that. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. My next guest has spent the bones of ten years putting together her new book. And it's become one of the most talked about books to come out of the psychological sector, as it were, in the last while. She is a clinical psychologist and she's written it as a clinical psychologist, but she's written it in a way that we can all pick it up and read it without having to have any clinical psychological knowledge. The book is called Your One Wild and Precious Life and the author is Maureen Gaffney. Maureen, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. And what I didn't know, and I should have known, is you're a Cork woman. Well, that's the most important thing, really, surely. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I didn't I didn't know that at all, Maureen. Oh, we sp- yes. And we spoke born in Middleton, I believe. Is that right? Yes, and of course, uh, when I was growing up in Middleton, uh, my mother regarded Cork people as, like, people from another species, virtually. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we're, ev- we're ev- everyone's identity is very particular. <laughs> very good. I think the central tenet of your book, Maureen, is that we never really stop developing as people. It's just different development at different stages of our lives. Is that Absolutely. It? That is the key message uh, of the book. I think that for an awful long time, you know, we, we operated almost unconsciously, you know, with the understanding that you developed in childhood and in adolescence and then you matured, which was always, it seemed to me, a very depressing prospect. And, and then you declined, you know, um, as soon as you hit 60. And, and what we now know from a wealth of uh, research is that that is absolutely not true. Um, that we are ageing and developing from the moment we are born literally to the moment we die. We change right up to the end. And this is one of the things that keeps us going in life. If you ask most people, do they, would they like to change? Would they like their lives to change? No matter how satisfied they are with their lives, they don't want to feel this is it. You know, uh, they they want to feel that there's always going to be something new, some new part of them that will emerge, which will sort of surprise them in a, in a good way. Mm. Thinking about it myself uh, over the weekend as I was preparing to speak with you, I'm thinking about 20-year-old me, 30-year-old me and 40-year-old me. All different people. When I look back now, all very different people. That's right. I mean, there's always a bit of you that's the same, you know, that bit of you that you know privately and that people who know you really well privately. Mm. But but there's a whole part of us that is always changing, always responding, always adapting. And one of the, I think one of the great things about life is that even when people go through really tough times and very stressful um, stuff in their life, 
that that they that's often when they discover the best parts of themselves. You know, I couldn't tell you how often people say to me, had I known in advance that I was going to face into this in myself or in my family, I I I would not have known that I would have had the guts and the bravery to do it. Um, and and so I think that's very heartening that we we don't know what we're capable of until we're tested. And God knows we've all been tested in one way or the other in, in the last year and a quarter. Yes. I was just, just getting to that. And again, thinking we can only really think about ourselves and the ones around us who are closest to us. Yes. And and I think had the pandemic hit 20 years ago, my own, or even 10 years ago, my own personal response to it, as in deep inside my own head, would have been much different. Yeah, much, much different. But I think what endures, though, is that most of what we think about in life, most of what motivates us in life, are are three drives that are built into your brain when you're born. And that's the drive for close relationships, the drive for autonomy and the drive for competence. And I think most people will know what I mean by closeness in relationships. That feeling that you can trust at least one person in your life, especially when you feel very vulnerable. The the second, you know, are you suffering from self-doubt about something? The autonomy, I think, is is harder to understand because most people think of it as a kind of a cool self-sufficiency, and it's not. What autonomy means is that drive we have to exercise control over our lives. We want to feel that we are setting some direction for ourselves in life and that we're expressing who we really are as people. I mean, even the fact that you refer to your own uh, stages of development. We're always looking for, as it were, a fuller, truer version uh, of ourselves. And, and finally, the drive for competence. Everybody wants to feel that they're managing what life throws at them mm. as well as they can. And if you look back on your life at all the high points in your own life, you, you'll find that one or all of those needs were being met. That's kind of what characterised those great moments. Mm. You know, when you fell in love or you managed some huge challenge um, or you took a stand on something, even though you were afraid, even though you were doubtful, but you stood up for something that you thought was right at the time. Yes, and you stood up. You stood up for it because your mind was telling you to stand up for it. Others might have been saying you're mad, but your own That's inner right. core was saying, no, yeah. I've got to stand up for this. Yeah, and you know that the moments when you feel bad about yourself is when you balk at that and you kind of, uh, you just don't have the that sort of courage to go ahead. Mm. Um, and so I, I think those, what I try to do in the book is is look at how those three needs develop at every stage in life and what parents can do to help their children um, what you can do yourself in terms of looking back on your own past and understanding how you were formed as a person. Um, and, and most importantly, what you can do now and what you would really like to do with the rest of your life. And, and that's really, I think, what, what the, the book is about. So I think anyone coming to it, no matter what stage they're at, 
they're going to be interested in their own stage of life, yes. I think, primarily. But they're also going to be interested in looking back and looking forward. To what extent are we the person that we are today, say, like the, the, the Maureen that stood in front of her mirror this morning, me, anybody else here in the building, anyone listening to us, to what extent uh, are you, you the sum of your parts? As in, well, you had this experience as a child, this as an adolescent, this as a young adult. And you are a sum of your parts at any one given time. You're, you're the sum of your parts, but, but it doesn't define who you can be. It, it's very influential in mm. terms of who you are. But your life is your own. Uh, and, and there's always something that you can do to make shifts in your life, to change even one small thing. Or uh, In my last book, I, I talked about changing just one step in the dance. You know, it's very hard to, if you're kind of very unhappy about the way your life has gone. Mm. It's very unhappy to... To you know, to, it's too overwhelming to think. You know, uh, how how can I change all this? Yeah. But the way that the brain works and behavior works is that if you change one thing, say in a relationship that isn't going very well, if you change one thing in the way you react, the dance changes. You know, um, and and I think it's to know that these very small changes that you make cumulatively make an enormous difference. And I think that's much more motivating for, for people um, than, than to imagine you, you, know, you can go to a class or you know, go to a motivational course and that you'll come out an entirely different person. Everyone's life is complicated, mm. you know, uh, but, but that doesn't mean that it's set in stone. It's never set in stone. The story is never over. Mm. Middle age, in your view, is the prime of life. And you've got a couple of different stages of life, which are new terms to me anyway. Like there's childhood, obviously, then there's adolescent. And we used to go then from there to adult and, and middle age and old age. Yeah. But you've thrown in emerging adult, late adulthood. What's an emerging adult? What? Well, 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 about 20 years ago, uh, uh, researchers... Uh, we're very surprised to discover that people in their 20s, when you ask them if they felt fully adult, most didn't feel fully adult until their, sort of depending on their life circumstances, mid to late 20s. Um, and some, you know, uh, went on even to their early 30s. They felt that they were getting there, um, but they weren't quite there. And, mm. and that's for a lot of reasons. Um because people are much more dependent now uh, on their own families uh, for a lot longer. Um, you know, they, they stay in education longer. There's, there's a lot of jobs people get now, um, even when they have degrees, you know, are internships and poorly paid uh, yeah. jobs. They, they can't afford rent. So they're still very dependent. Um and and also, I think they they want to have that time. It, it's very much a new stage in the sense that they want to have that time in their lives to explore themselves. Like your parents wanted to explore themselves as well and find out who they were and look, at, you know, and live lives of possibility, you know, without coming down too hard um, mm -hmm. on, with their commitments. 
But they did all that in a very small space of time. Yes. You know, uh, usually, you know, from 18 to about 23 or 24. And by then, you know, they, they had to kind of get serious. I mean, Whereas now that extends much further. And so that's the, the first stage. Now, obviously, if you don't feel fully adult until you, you will say 30 for the sake of argument, then, then that means young adulthood, the stage where you start settling down, doesn't begin until later and lasts longer. Uh, and then that in turn pushes out, as it were, yeah. um, middle age. So middle age now is much nearer 50 than it is 40. Right. So you can relax. That, that's very gratifying to hear, I have to <laughs> say. Um, like, I would hate to be, and I, I, I have... I've children in their 20s and I would hate to be in my 20s now trying to cope with the world. When I was in my 20s, yeah, there were there was hardships there. There was difficulties in life. But the world has become much harder to be in your 20s in now. Oh, much, much harder. Much harder. I completely agree with you. And and most people actually uh, say that. They, they, they wouldn't want to be young again. It's especially now, because I think most parents, for example, uh, are very, very conscious, you know, of of just how tough a challenge it is now to get a foothold in life at all. Um, But they want to feel young. So they don't want to be young, but they want to feel young. And that turns out to be hugely important because your chronological age predicts virtually nothing about you. Uh, except when you're a very, very young child and when you're very, very, very old, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, but but nothing else. Uh, so if you take someone in their in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you you simply can predict very little about how they're living their lives. Mm-hmm. And and that other stage, that other new stage then to match, as it were, the emerging adulthood you then go into late adulthood. you know your young adulthood and then your 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 midlife but by the time you retire <clears throat> you know at at 65 or so you know people are they're much healthier than they were they're much mm-hmm. better educated they're more traveled they're more savvy they don't feel old they do not feel uh, like the elderly they like the uh, the word pensioner doesn't sit well with them. So there is that whole other stage, I think, from, you know, the time you retire, roughly around 65, to well into your 70s. And, and that's where you stay, really. You stay in that, what I call, late adulthood, mm-hmm. where your motivations, uh, your lifestyle, everything is quite distinct mm-hmm. from... Uh, those who are older and those, uh, you know, who are younger than yeah. you. So it's a very distinct we, we, stage. We, we never, we never really stop developing. I think at the central tenet of the never. book, and Not and, and I think it's very interesting food for thought. I have a saying in life, Maureen, which with which I will leave you, and you're welcome to you're welcome to use it, <laughs> if you wish. Getting older is inevitable. Growing up is a choice. Choose well. You you have it there. <laughs> Thanks, Maureen. Pleasure to speak with you on the opinion line. That is Maureen Gaffney, and uh, her new book. Her new book is called "Your One Wild and Precious Life." Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Hannah works in a law firm. So is it your own firm? Is it Hannah and Hannah? No, it's not Hannah and Hannah, unfortunately. (laughs) Citroen is a car company made by what country? You said France. France was the correct answer. Objection. Sustained. In the case of Casey and Ross in the morning versus the defendant, Hannah, I find you the winner of two Good morning, PJ. I suffer from Eustachian tube dysfunction and I need a special procedure called Eustachian tube balloon dilation. I can't get it done on my medical card here in the Republic. Can you ask if I can get it done on the cross-border directive? Uh, the bus cross-border directive, I don't know, is the answer, but I'm sure if you contact one of the TDs, like Michael Collins, that we've been in touch with, contact their office, they'll certainly tell you. It's not called the cross-border directive anymore now. It's called the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme. But... We get you, we get your drift. Thanks for that. Uh, the Eustachian tube, in case anyone's wondering what's that about, that's the tube that connects the middle of your ear, your middle ear to the back of your throat and swallowing and all that is uh, the air pressure in the... It, it, it. When you go on a plane, remember that? We used to go on planes. When you go on a plane and you get a pain in your ears, going up or going down, that's your Eustachian tube trying to keep the pressure right at the back of your ears. So there you go. Uh, on Saturday, says Liam, I see... The Independent published a wealth list of TDs, particularly landlords. I thought you'd be all over it. If anybody would like to talk about it, more than happy to do so. But there was nothing in that report, Liam, that I didn't already know, I have to say. Nothing particularly. Certainly, we knew that Michael Lowry was by far and away the richest TD in the Doyle. That's been, you know, true for years. We've known that for years. We also knew that Michael Healy Ray was probably one of the biggest property dealers or property owners in the Doyle. We, We knew that. There was nothing... I, I, did anybody take... Was anyone remotely surprised by that article in The Independent on Saturday? But if anyone would like to talk about it, then the number is 1850-715-996. Now, Crosshaven Tennis Club are launching a special programme at the moment for players with disabilities. Eileen, good morning to you. This is Eileen O'Brien. Good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me on the show this morning. Delighted. Tell me about well. Tell me first of all about the the tennis club. It's thriving down there. Yeah, it is thriving. We have a lot of new members, and uh, we're actually a very small tennis club, but we're growing fast, and we have a lot of ambition. Good, good. So, tell me about Enjoy Tennis. What's that about? So, Enjoy Tennis is a Tennis Ireland initiative, and it's for um, children or adults with disabilities or with autism. Um, and it's a program that they have, I think it's kind of going out nearly six years. Mm. Um, and we affiliated with it recently. And we also affiliated with Cork Sports Partnership. So they're also into promoting sports inclusion. Yes, yes. During the summer, I don't know was it was a first, but it was certainly was one of the first time I'd seen it. Uh, in Wimbledon, they showed more of the wheelchair tennis than they ever showed before. And it was absolutely brilliant to watch. So people in wheelchairs, 
love tennis and the game is adapted for them to play really easily, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is actually. And um, it was brilliant to watch in Wimbledon this year. So and also, I think if you had tuned into the Special Olympics, um, there was also some programs for inclusion in that as well. So um, I think in Ireland, actually, I think we had a competitor Mm. um, um, in the blind tennis or partially sighted tennis. Yes, yes. Fascinating. So how can people get involved and enjoy tennis? So within our club, we have um, we're start we started a program during the summer. It was a pilot program, and we kind of had to decide: okay, what area of inclusion could we work with? Yeah. Um, so Kate Feeney, who's in the Cork Sports Partnership, she was very good at helping us to kind of, you know, direct what was our needs in the area first, and what we kind of rec- recognised within our area was that. Um, there was probably a need to do sports inclusion for children with autism. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we realised was this: the, the the local national school, the boys' national school, have they've just recently built a special unit for children with autism. So we said, okay, it looks like within our area there is a need to do something for children with autism. So that's where we have begun. We did a, a pilot program during the summer. It was four weeks. It was really, um, we got fantastic feedback from it, from the parents. And then we had a fun day with them recently, just on on Saturday, just gone. And then coming forward in October, we're going to begin um, coaching lessons with them on a Saturday. So that's where we are at at the moment Mm. with our sports inclusion. Excellent. And do you have a Facebook page that people can have a look at and maybe contact you through there? Yeah, we, we actually so um, the Crosshaven Tennis Club has a, has a Facebook page, so you can see our event on Saturday, which was lovely, and actually even the the pilot program. There's some lovely photographs of when we did it during the summer as well, so they can see our Facebook page, Crosshaven Tennis Club. All right, well, good luck with it, and it's a great initiative, and uh, congratulations to all at. Uh, Crosshaven Tennis Club for putting that together, and uh, indeed congratulations on the success of your winner house in Crosshaven campaign recently because that's been going great guns. 1850 715 Right to Nadim who as I stressed to you we're trying to get some resources together just someone for him to talk to and to you know calm him down a little bit because he got desperately upset on the programme earlier on. Carlos says I'm very sad about Nadim. At least he works unlike so many people. I really hope something is done for him. I'm sitting here in the room trying not to let my son see me so upset. 1850-715-996. And John has a thought for the day. I, I liked sharing that little motto of mine with Maureen Gaffney. And I always say, growing older is inevitable. Growing up is a choice. Choose well, my friend. Uh, John says, love is a dream, <laughs> but marriage is an alarm clock. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 96 On Cork's 96FM. Quick reminder to tune in on Saturdays when Premier League Live is on 96FM.ie.
powered by Talk Sport, presented by Trevor Welsh and the team. Live coverage of all the games you need to hear and all the post-match analysis. It's the Premier League Live Online with Now. Stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with Now. And listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96 fm Dot IE. 1850-715-996. We've been watching and talking to some of the people involved in uh, Hell Week, um, where they're down. It's down in um, Fort Camden, and it's great. Obviously, it's, we talked to Valerie Mulcahy and to Peter Stringer and Reed Anna Kaplis about it, and we were talking to Valerie last week about Scratch and that horrendous thing that they did to them on the beach and they kept them out there for hours and hours and hours with a boat just pulling it up, pulling it down, pulling it up, pulling it down. But what about doing it for real? A man called Ray Goggins is the the lead uh, ranger, the lead trainer on that uh, on that series and he's also written a book about uh, being a ranger and uh, spending time. It's called Ranger 22. Ray, good morning to you. Good morning. How's it going? Are you well? Delighted to have you on the show. We're very well, thank you. Um, the life of a ranger. Why did you want to be a ranger in the? Well, let's start. Why did you want to be a soldier? And then, when you got to be a soldier, why did you want to be a ranger? Okay, so yeah, look, it was an, it was a natural transition for me to be a soldier. We brought my family we were military. I don't know some grandfathers down the line, so I was always interested. It was always going to be the job I wanted to do. So that that was an easy step. So um, with the ranger thing, then I guess I was I served in Cork at the Four Battalion for a number of years, and um, you know I, I'd heard about these guys and you know all this specialist training and stuff, and I just decided, look, it was something that maybe I'd like to try. So I did. How tough is it to get into the Rangers? It's pretty tough. Uh, my first attempt, I failed because um, I wasn't prepared for it mentally, and I hadn't trained enough, so I quit after a couple of weeks. Um, so it took me a while to get back around then and train myself up and get ready. But uh, it, yeah, it, look, it's up there. It's one that it's probably probably the most, if not one of the most intense and uh, physical, emotional, mental experiences of of my life. I guess. Yeah. Now, what what age were you when you um, started yeah, training? So. Tw- Okay, so the one I failed, I was 21. When I successfully got into the unit, I was 28 when I did, did it the one later on. So right. I had trained for a couple of years before that to be prepared. So I, I was, I suppose I was senior enough. You, you don't get too many guys north of 30 yeah, going on selection, to be fair. Yeah. So where did that jo- that life bring you, the, the, the life for Ranger? Where did it bring you? Um, I suppose geographically, uh, and as soon as I finished my training, which was like a couple of months of, of hell, I was basically put into a, a team straight away and sent off to a jungle in East Timor um, in a counterinsurgency operation. So there was no kind of build-up of straight into it. So that, that was my first Special Forces mission, I guess. And I had I served a no, number of times in Lebanon with the UN and in, in the Army, which mm. was a has its own challenges, of course, but special forces is a different option because you're given a lot more leeway. You usually work in smaller numbers, um, like, you know, small teams. Like, you know, sometimes as little as two men, you know, six, maybe 30 at the max. So you, your missions are much more complex. You're on your own more, and they're usually further away from support elements. So hence all the training, you have to be self-sufficient. 
and to be able to deal with a lot of adverse conditions and think yeah. of your feet, of course, as well. Yeah, like spending six months in Lebanon or indeed anywhere else on, on a UN assignment like that, yes, it's got, like you said, it's got its own challenges and, it, and it's tough enough, mm. but there's a lot of quiet time. Would Rangers always be going into a, an active and possibly and possibly volatile situation? Yeah, usually they're kind of like the lead element that would go in. For example, when we went to Liberia in West Africa in the early noughties, um, we were the lead elements. We went ahead of an infantry company that followed us on our battalion, should I say. So we had been in, we went in there ahead of, on our own. So we'd go ahead to some of the more volatile locations, you know, conducting reconnaissance missions and different operations. So yeah, that's kind of your your job. Like you're lucky, you're probably better armed than, than the normal army guys. Um, there's a lot more intense training, so you're probably I won't say more prepared, but you probably have better options for different situations than than regular army guys, maybe. You know. Mm. How did you come to be involved then, as the 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 chief instructor with Ultimate Hell Week? Yeah, well, look, a former colleague of mine gave me a call about it, and he said, "Look, you know, the, there's a the production company heading this up. Would you like to do it?" I said, "No, I wouldn't. Thanks very much," and hung up the phone initially. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. So like yeah, so again, look after some conversation and, and what sold it for me were the, the other guys that were going to be involved in it were look, three friends of mine that I worked with and served with and put my life in their hands and all this kind of stuff for years. So I said, look, if these guys are going to do it, I'll do it. So look, it worked out very well for us, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a bit of a, a leap of faith because we were very cognizant of the fact that we didn't want it to make it like I know it is a TV show, but we wanted it to be as close to what we do in reality as possible and make it very genuine. Um, which which I hope we did do. Um, so that's kind of what kept us in it. Well, uh, I'd say one thing, as and it comes under that very broad church of reality TV, and as someone who usually runs screaming from the room at the very yeah, mention of reality, yeah. I'm actually sitting yeah. watching this and I'm enjoying it. And it's, it's, oh, it's, it's, I, it's I, good I appreciate that. But, like, is it... Do you sometimes feel, when you're doing it, am I being a horrible person? To, to, to yeah. Someone. Well, it's, yeah. Sometimes you have to be a horrible, whatever word you want to use to that person, because like uh, what we're replicating is our testing phase for selection. So, what what we're doing in that phase is we're we're trying to put the all the candidates in an adverse situation where you know you're working on their resilience, their mindset, their abilities to like make decisions when they're cold, hungry, tired. So when you're doing that phase in the real selection. You're, you're, yeah, you're being very tough on people, and you're, you're being unforgiven. Um, so that's the way we have to mirror that. You're not mm-hmm. doing them any favors by giving them, you know, um, too much help. But there is times where you can be empathetic if someone has put enough and effort. You, can, you know, yeah. give them a little percent. Well, I have there, noticed that know. once or twice, all right. And I wonder, does that reflect the real situation that when you're, when yeah, you were being sure, trained, absolutely. and and you got, you, I'm sure you came up a, 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 at a moment in your training where you just could not go on and you had to bail out for, for an hour just to draw breath or yeah well the little moment yeah, of, absolutely, absolutely. a little moment of empathy that says okay you've done your level best we'll try again tomorrow yeah well pro- probably not that much of a break uh, to try again tomorrow but definitely uh, like people like put the hand out to me on various courses and operations where I was spent and I was done and like, you know, the, the word of encouragement or look, as you said, a reset or that help or a, yeah. a spur of comment, like definitely got me over the hump at different times in all my career. And even now, it's incredibly important. And, and it's something that I'd be very kind of uh, 
advocate to do with people if they deserve it. Not, not everyone deserves it, of course. <laughs> there is that little, that little <laughs> caveat. You know, I mean, we were only, I think recently, Ray, we, we, we learned more reading our newspapers about the Army Rangers than we probably ever knew with regard to them going into Afghanistan and this elite team of nine or ten fellas, men and women, I assume, going, going into that. But that, that was your life for, for 17 years. Um, what, what's your abiding memory of it, if you had one? Um, it, it's just that it was, it was a great experience. Like, it was great crack. Like, when I think of my time in the ARW, I think of the guys I worked with and, you know, the, like, just the, the, the carry on, I guess, and the, and the crack that we had. It was, it was brilliant. Like, like, I never forget the bad, or I never remember the bad stuff. No. I'm thinking back to uh, my, my time. I think of individuals or things we did or things they said or things we, you know, that, that happened for uh, and with us. Like I never, I don't think of like the misery times or the the bad stuff. Yeah. You know, so it's it's a great experience. You, 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 you learn to be a teak tough individual, but also a team player. Your small team, every member of the oh, team yeah. is pulling Absolutely. that team through. Absolutely, like there, there's a huge part of that. Like you know, it's not all about being this kind of hard case and having muscles. Like that's it's actually the opposite. It's it's mindset, the ability to adapt to situations and people, and be able to get on with those people to make something a success. So they're the key components of special operations, in my view. Mm. Not not necessarily the push-ups and all that kind of stuff, you know. Okay. Well, certain, certainly um, we've got an insight through uh, Ultimate Hell Week. Thanks for being with us on the Opinion Line. The new book is out at Ranger 22. Uh, thank you, Ray Goggins. Still getting calls and messages about Nadim and uh, how upset the poor man got on the air with me between 10 and 11 about his situation. Just to recap briefly, he's living in direct provision up at the Kinsale Road Centre. He is anxiously waiting on uh, permission to stay in the country. His application for asylum or refugee status was torn down, but he, he now is looking for leave to remain and it's a long and an arduous process and it's getting to him and he was very upset and very weepy and threatening hunger strike and all these kind of things and so we got some resources and put some resources at his disposal, which hopefully will will get him through the day. People are very concerned about him. We've, we're doing our best in the background to make sure that he's okay. And we've got some fabulous people coming forward to help, uh, as only they would. 1850 I remember talking about the Big Brother, Big Sister programme a few years ago. It's a Faroiga-run programme, which is it literally... Is what it says on the tin. It's for young people in Faroiga. There's one big brother or big sister that kind of takes them under their wing and becomes their mentor as they struggle with the ordinary things in life. They've advanced that now to e mentoring. Rachel O'Sullivan. Rachel, good morning to you. Hi, Peter. How are you? Good. That, and that is kind of what Big Brother Big Sister was. It's just one good big, one good adult, the old yeah. one good adult thing, which is so important. <laughs> Completely. It's such a simple idea. Do you know, people are always thinking it's going to be more complex, but it's not. It's a trusted adult who acts like a mentor and kind of backs the young person up by meeting with them once a week. And what happened during the pandemic and the lockdown, as you know, PJ, because I was I was on talking with you, an awful lot of young people got isolated. Mm. And so the next thing, um, big brother, big sister, we're like, well, how are we going to stay connected? Do you know, how are we going to kind of make sure that these matches don't stop happening, that the young person, people, not just person, but keeps getting support. And so luckily um, in Australia, Big Brother, Big Sister, they had a big problem with kids in the outback. 
you know, like really, really kind of isolated, hundreds of miles from the nearest town. Yeah. So behind the scenes, um, they'd been designing this thing called our space because, you know, yourself, PJ, with like Zoom and WhatsApp and Facebook, they're very, I mean, they're fine, they're professional services, but they're not secure. Do you know what I mean? So we wanted a secure platform that would work from people's phones and laptops that we could professionally manage, do you know, so that we could mm. go on there and make sure everything was OK. So it was in the pipeline. And then during the pandemic, we're like, right, we've got to start getting going with this, you know. Mm. And there was a big kind of calling out for it. And I don't know if you know this, Rafoga, it's something I actually really love. But our national council is made up of two thirds young people. Okay. And they kind of, yeah, like, so they actually design the kind of, well, you know, they lead the way on, on what they want. And of course, they're all digital natives. So they were like, we want a way of connecting that kind of is more modern, that we can kind of connect regardless of lockdowns. So we're launching the platform and um, it's called e-mentoring. And it's basically going to mean that in the past you'd have had to meet up every week and you'd have to go out and do activities, which people loved, but it's a bigger commitment. And so what we're doing now with the e-mentoring is you still meet up a couple of times at the start, but you under kind of no obligation after that. So you can meet like once a month, once every six weeks, whatever works for you. And the rest of the time you can work from, or you can volunteer from your phone, from your laptop, um, your tablet, um, and the hour becomes an hour, you know? So mm. like you're literally kind of turning up and regardless of what happens and we don't know what's going to happen in the next year, you'll be able to stay connected. Mm. So, for example, if your work life, if you're doing shift work, if you're in college, if you're <clears throat> and also PJ as well, this is really about connecting with kids in where there are no other services. So like the more rural parts of Cork, like West Cork, North Cork, um, diverse kids who might struggle to actually meet face to face, you know, this is kind of ideal for them as well. Mm. Let's them practice the social skills, let's them practice kind of different things without the kind of pressure of being there in person. But one of the big things I'm getting so far when I'm kind of reaching out to people is, oh my God, this is brilliant because it means that kids in quite rural areas mm. who miss out on a lot of the services that we have in the cities and towns can actually get mentors now. Um, and like, for example, like this is the great thing about digital stuff. You could have a young person who might have an interest, for example, might be thinking about doing something like law mm. and we can connect them with a law student, do you know? Mm. So, like, it's just opening it up quite a kind of uh, in a yeah. in a new way. Who can you know? who can be a mentor? Anyone. We give full training, so they have to be over eighteen. They have to kind of want to become a mentor. So the process is quite straightforward. You contact us. We give an application. Um, I would sit down with them. We get to kind of, we get to know our volunteers very well. You're not just left off into the wilderness afterwards. We stay connected. So like if you have any kind of, um, say, for example, a young person doesn't get back to you by text and you're like, well, how do I approach this? Will you ring me? Do you know? And we talk it through. Um, we meet up regularly. We train you on how to use our space. Um, we train you on what to do. And we're constantly there as a backup. But mm. anyone over the ages of 18, because um, obviously it's 10 to 18 will be the young person. So they can't be the same age. Yeah. <laughs> How do you have the compatibility thing then, Rachel? Like not everybody will will gel. Yeah. No. And this is this is why Froger works, because we put a huge amount of time into getting to know you. So behind the scenes, we're getting to know our young people who are looking for support. So we, we do a lot of things. We take them out. We kind of chat. There's a, kind of a good big interview section there where we really get to know each other. Mm. And it's about finding out what you're interested in. And it's really interesting because when you're talking to someone, they're like, oh, I don't know what my hobbies are. They're this, this, this. And you're like, well, if you, do you like the guitar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to play the guitar when I was a kid. 
So what happens is, is I get a feel and we get a feel of who the person is in front of us and the same with the young person. And then we match them and we call that a match between a big and a little. And we do that specifically with a lot of time spent with our volunteer. It's not a huge amount of time, but we do get to know you. Mm. And then we match you with a person who we think you're going to gel with. And then we support that with activities, ideas, you know, we kind of, we were there the whole time in the background, helping you make it work so that the young person can get the support that they need and that it's fun, you know, that it's actually an enjoyable experience as well, you know. If if someone listening wants to volunteer to be part of it, where do they start? There are lots of ways to contact us. So the easiest way, the most straightforward is to go on to froga.ie into the Big Brother, Big Sister, and there's an inquiry form there and they'll get through to me. Um, do you know Volunteer Cork in Cork City? Yes, indeed. They, yeah, they're supporting us. So you can go in through them. You can contact me directly if you want. Um, email entering um, Cork at Facebook. Um, or you could email me, rachel.osullivan at froga.ie. But like, it's Rachel with an R-A-C-H-A-E-L. Thanks, okay. Mom. Um, and so there's lots. Of, she, she made it you complicated. Could, you could spend, ha- you could spend half an hour talking about the second day. You really could. I know so many different Rachels. I'm going to leave it there, Rachel. Thanks and just mention so much, people, BJ. No, my pleasure. And the best place to start generally is froga.ie. www.froga.ie if you'd like to get involved with that. Yeah, that's a whole topic of conversation. Why do some Rachels have the second A? and some not. But that's for another day. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.